Um, we have the privilege this morning of hearing from what you might call one of our domestic missionaries. It's a church we help support. Um, we have the privilege to hear from uh, Rabbi Chaim Erbach today. And he is the rabbi of a Messianic Jewish congregation called Yeshua Zion, which meets at Greenwood Community Church just down the street. And they meet on Saturdays, the real Sabbath, right, Rabbi? That was a, yeah. Um, he, uh, he also teaches at Denver Seminary in their Messianic Jewish program and uh, a Judaism program. And uh, I had the privilege of taking a class from him six years ago. And um, also, uh, some pastors in our past got to learn from his dad, Eliezer. Uh, Mark Brewer, the founding pastor of this church, was tutored by his dad. And Brad Strait was mentored by his dad. Um, But one of the things, really the thing he wanted me to say above all else, is that he is a follower of Yeshua. More on that, right? Would you give Rabbi Chaim Erbach a welcome this morning? Thank you. It's good to be here. By the way, uh, Dave and I had a practice session uh, to see if he can get my name correctly. So I want to do that with you. It's Chaim. Can you say Chaim? Yeah. All right. Means life, by the way. And so if you have seen the musical Fiddler on the Roof, how many have seen Fiddler on the Roof? Okay. You know the scene where they are somewhat... um, real happy and they hold up the glass and they say to life to life lechaim that's me so uh, (laughs) anyways sometimes I feel uh, more that way than others but God is good wanted to thank you folks for um, neglected to mention that earlier for your support for us and uh, and for my father and mother's ministry um from the very beginning of, uh, of the church. And I appreciate especially the fact that um, Jericho Press um, has been faithful even through times when you have had your own financial struggles and you guys didn't bail on, out, b- didn't bail on us like you could have. And I, we especially appreciate your prayer support. Um, as Dave mentioned, we're just down the street, and uh, ministering to Jewish people is about as challenging as ministering to Muslims, and, um, and yet, uh, my reality is not the difficulty. My reality is the presence and the power of God in, in our life. So it's good to be here. Um, I was asked to present a topic um, that is massive, that could take several hours, and uh, I will not keep you for several hours. Um, There's a story in uh, rabbinic uh, tradition where um, a Greek fellow came to a couple of rabbis wanting them, wanting each of them to teach him the entire Torah, the entire... uh, Law of Moses was standing on one foot, and one rabbi chased him away and told him how idiot, how much of an idiot he was. Then he came to the other fellow, who was more user friendly, and he said, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself." And so I feel that the topic of a Messianic Jewish approach to 
the conflict in the Middle East is somewhat like sharing while I'm standing on one foot. Uh, there's a ton, but I wanted to begin, first of all, by reading to you the scripture that I'll be mostly looking at today, and that's from Psalm chapter 2, and if you would please follow along as I read, I would appreciate it. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? By the way, the Hebrew word there for vain has a sense of something that's not worth spit. The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter, you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Do you ever feel as if we have a situation in which there's a lot of tumult, a lot of craziness, a lot of uh, nervous excitement in this world? I certainly do. Um, as I've been listening to the news and I'm somewhat of a news junkie, um, I hear a couple of topics come up again and again and again. Uh, of course, Ebola. And um, for me, this reminds me of the time that I worked at National Jewish Hospital in an AIDS lab during the uh, 1980s at the height of the AIDS scare when everybody and their mother was uh, running around concerned about being uh, afflicted with, with AIDS. We have something similar today. Um, we used to think that Ebola was over there uh, a couple of continents away and come to find out Ebola is right here in the United States. And of course we hear all kinds of very, very scary things um, such as it doesn't take much to travel from person to person and um, if you read the papers as I do, um, the CDC uh, presented a picture of a person who is supposed to be uh, taking care of e Ebola patients and they're covered from head to toe and they have a couple of different layers and they have to go through these very elaborate procedures in order to, to take off the, uh, the garments that have been contaminated and um, it's pretty scary especially as you have uh, people talking about the panic of 
what can happen uh, when you travel, when you board a plane and uh, the person next to you may have Ebola. I mean, it's crazy making, isn't it? Yes? Then, of course, there is everybody else's favorite uh, villain to, to bash, and that's, of course, ISIS. Um, we hear an awful lot about that. We hear about the fact that they have spread uh, like Ebola all over Syria and, uh, and Iraq and how that hundreds of Europeans and Americans have signed up with ISIS because they think it's great and glorious and wonderful and exciting, etc. Uh, we hear about the fact that Ebola may be, uh, that Ebola, uh, yes, Ebola. Uh, ISIS is looking to spread its tentacles and you have uh, cells in Mexico and so on. Um, that's reality. Uh, I mean, some of it is horrendously exaggerated, but reality is, for instance, that 120,000 Christians in, in Iraq and Syria have either died or been displaced in the last several months. That's reality, folks. Pretty scary stuff. And we, of course, are convinced that none of that is ever going to impact us. But if you have lived through 9-11, you know differently. So all that to say, I'm not wanting to depress you too much. But um, things are difficult and they, become, they could become more difficult. Um, so what do we do with the facts on the ground? We can either uh, give in to fear and panic like everybody else does. Or we can run into our circle of wagons and kind of close the circle around us or we can take a scriptural approach and see what the word of God has to say and endeavor to see things through his perspective through his glasses and there's several facts I wanted to point out first of all rebelling against God which is I believe what people like ISIS are doing rebelling against God is stupid utterly stupid um, unfortunately humanity doesn't change and people have done that in during the day of the psalmist they're doing that today they're convinced that they they do not have to get it, give answer to God and so as the beginning of this uh, chapter tells us they they plot and they conspire they're full of their their own thoughts and ideas, they're convinced that they have ultimate control in this world. And the psalmist tells us the following, why do they conspire and plot? They take their stand against the Lord and his Messiah, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their fetters. And when you think about that, it's based on a couple of things. One, it's arrogance. The other one is ignorance. Uh, the arrogance is that their power, their smarts, their wisdom will prevail. Their ignorance is the fact that they know not, nothing about God and the simple fact that he has overwhelming power. That when he unleashes his power, nothing can stand in his path. 
part of reality as we look at the Word of God and as we grab what the Word of God tells us and embrace it is the fact that God is not caught by surprise because of ISIS. He's not rattled by all the things that are being blasted on social media, you know, when they show people being beheaded and Christians being crucified. He is well aware of it. And his heart breaks for his children who are dying. And at the same time, he is angry at these foolish rebels. In fact, what the psalm tells us is that God considers the rebellion of people like ISIS to be absolutely ridiculous. It's some, somewhat like, he considers it somewhat like a, uh, a chihuahua. You know, a, a little scrappy chihuahua standing and looking t- to threaten a pit bull. Not recognizing that the pit bull could have him for lunch. And likewise, the same thing is with God. That in his time, in his manner, he can act, he can roll, roll up his sleeves and get to work. And be both gentle with a weak and harsh and severe with the rebellious. And this is the basic pattern that we see throughout Scripture. We see that throughout the Old Testament with the prophets. We see that with Jesus, who was very gentle with the sinners who were weak, but he was absolutely hard and harsh with the rebels. And so part of what we see here is that God wants to communicate his reality to the rebels. He wants to convey to them what's going on so that they have an opportunity to repent. This is the heart of God, folks. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, including people like ISIS. Part of reality is that his headquarters is in Jerusalem, not Mecca, and that his prophet and king is not Muhammad, but Jesus. And that Jerusalem is not Muhammad's city, but it is Jesus' city. By the way, I don't know if you know the basis for the Muslim belief of the connection with Jerusalem. There was apparently a, a story in uh, Islamic tradition that at some point Muhammad was taking up at night by either, depending on, on who you listen to, either uh, an angel or a, um, some mystical being, and he was taken uh, to Jerusalem where he met with God and he was given instruction by God. Then the same night, he was zapped back to Mecca. Um, and so because of that, Islam considers Jerusalem to be the third holiest uh, city. And the mosque that's there is considered to be the third holiest, holiest mosque. That's the version that God does not tolerate. In verse 6 of this chapter, he says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Now, kind of strange language 
Because if we don't understand what is being said here, we can come away thinking that what is being said here is that Jesus, the Son of God, uh, at some point in time entered into that relationship. That's not what Scripture says to us here or in the New Testament because we know that the relationship between the Father and Son is eternal, had no point of beginning. But rather, this is like um, an adoption procedure. Um, A father bringing out his son and telling the community all about it. And the New Testament tells us that this kind of a ceremony, a coronation ceremony in a sense, uh, is what took place as far as God was concerned when Jesus uh, first came into the world and then also when he rose from the dead. But what is being emphasized here and throughout Scripture is that the God of Israel in biblical times is still the God of Israel today. And there was a very, very uh, powerful Scripture in the book of Jeremiah 31, which talks about the new covenant. And I wanted to read to you several of those verses. This is what the Lord God says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. This is what the Lord says, only if the nations above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all that they had done. Now, I don't know what it does for you. For me, this brings great comfort because Israel is the poster child of God's unbelievable and extravagant love for mankind. Because you know, as you look at these passages, where God states categorically, I will not reject Israel because of all the things that they have done, you know that you and I are secure because our relationship to God is not based on the wonderful things that we do. So we're safe because of that. Um, And we also see that Jesus makes reference to that in Matthew 23, a very brief statement. Let me just read to you in Matthew 23, 39. He says, I will tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is Matthew 23, 39. And what he says there, if you unpack it, means that he's expecting to come back to Jerusalem, the physical Jerusalem. He's expecting to be seen by the people of Israel. And he's expecting that the people of Israel will embrace him as the Messiah at some point. And I look forward to that. Part of what we see then coming back to the psalm is that Jesus will come and he will not be gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but he will come as the ruler, as the judge. Here in this uh, chapter, verse, verses uh, 8 and 9, states the following, ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance, 
You will rule them with an iron scepter and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Tough stuff, isn't it? It speaks about the simple fact that when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom here, those who continue to be rebels, who rebel against his authority, will experience God's severe judgment. We also see that in Isaiah where it speaks about the Messiah coming. So those who are committed to coming against Israel, against God's people, the church, will experience God's wrath. See that in, in Zechariah chapter 14. This is the plague with which the Lord will strike all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they're still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. This is awful stuff, isn't it? Right? Anybody awake here? I mean, this is like Ebola and steroids. Or actually it reminds me of the um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, the scene where the French archaeologist peels back the cover of the Ark of the Lord and the light comes and zaps him and his face melts and so on. Um, I mean, that's Hollywood. But what we see here in Zechariah 14 is not Hollywood, it's reality. And the forces of evil are at work, folks. That's, again, reality. It's like a cancer that is metastasizing. And God is very much aware of that. And God is very much in control. And God has a plan. And he issues a warning to the people who are engaged in that. Either you change and repent or else you can experience God's judgment. But in the midst of that, God is working, folks. God is working. The number of followers of Jesus in Israel during the last 30 years has increased by a factor of 10. There are a lot more of us. We're a lot more visible. And this is not only in Israel with Jewish people there and also here. We see that with the Arab countries, believe it or not. We've been hearing all kinds of wonderful testimonies of God revealing himself to, to Muslims in Saudi Arabia and Iran. People have had visions and dreams uh, of Jesus. Remarkable stuff. And I believe more of that is happening. Why? Because, again, the word of God tells us in Isaiah Chapter 19, that there will be a highway going from Egypt to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. What that says, folks, is that there will come a time when Jews and Arabs, along with everybody else, would worship the Lord together in Jerusalem. I anticipate that. That's my great hope. And I wanted to finish with the story that has come out of China. I know we typically think of China as the place where you get all kinds of doodads. You know, um, some of our best 
Jewish uh, elements, you know, the menorahs and stars of David come from China. But uh, there's a movement of the underground church. And you may know that during the severe communist rule, the underground church has grown to where estimates put it at 100 million believers in Jesus in China. This is the underground church, and they have a vision called Back to Jerusalem. And the, the vision is to take the gospel along the Silk Road system through the 1040 window all the way back to Jerusalem. Meaning to see to it that the gospel comes all the way from outside of China, from China to, to Jerusalem. And by the way, they're coming to Jerusalem. They've come to Jerusalem in all kinds of numbers. Um, I know that because members of my family have connected with them. But their emphasis right now is on the countries between Israel and China. And hundreds of Chinese underground missionaries are currently at work proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to people in countries in the Middle East and in Asia. Thousands of additional Christians in, from China are being prepared. Here's what they have to say. This is a passion for us. We pray about it daily. We dream about it, talk about it over breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's not a trivial matter, but it's a driving force of our lives and ministries. Many feel it's God's ultimate call and destiny for the Chinese church and their reason to exist. Their expectation is that as this gets going full steam, that we're going to hear all kinds of awesome testimonies about people in the Muslim countries, which we're already beginning to hear, but in other countries as well, coming to the kingdom through the ministry of, of these guys from from China. So yes, there are all kinds of difficult things happening. Yes, evil is spreading. Yet, the God of Israel knows how to handle all, all of that and he has a plan. A plan to draw into the kingdom of God those who are repentant and to judge those who are rebellious. And in case you wonder about your part in this, let me just encourage you that the vast majority of people like me who come into the kingdom of God, who are Jews, have come into the kingdom of God through folks like you. My family's case in point, my father was led to the, to the Lord by a Presbyterian. And so let me just urge you to pray that God would bring a Jewish person to your life for you to love on, for you to share the word of God through your life and for you to see what God wants to do through you in their life. You may be aware of the fact that you are smack dab in the middle of a Jewish mission field. 25% of the community around Cherry Creek Presbyterian is Jewish. And it's become much more so in the last several years. You know, the synagogue down the street here, H. Denver, 
the folks that walk back and forth to synagogue and walk around Cherry Creek Presbyterian from time to time, they need Jesus too. They obviously will not receive him if you come, grab them by the collar and say, turn or burn. <laughs> but it begins with a vision to pray for, for people, not just the big picture, all of Israel, but to pray for, indi for, for individuals. In, in your classrooms, in your jobs, in your neighborhoods, pray that the kingdom of God will impact those Jews who need to come to know about their Messiah. Let's pray. Father God, we bless your name and thank you that in the midst of the crazy and wacky world that we live in, that you're firmly in control. Lord, that nothing surprises you. Either our supposedly good deeds or our sin. Thank you, Lord God, that you know the panic that has taken place sometimes. Lord God, we pray that you would replace the fear with faith, strong faith in you, Lord, in your ability to transform lives, in your ability to transform the world. We pray for that vision for each of us, Lord. And we pray that you would show each of us, Lord, our part and how you want us to serve you and to see the expansion of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.